How are you this morning, brothers and sisters? All right. Are you ready to, to go to the place of the mind and allow God into your mind this morning? Are you ready for that? All right. I heard a preacher say one time that uh, when, you, when you were singing, the worship is from the heart to the head, but when you're hearing preaching, your worship is from the head to the heart. So it's really interesting, uh, that statement. Luke chapter 6, if you'll go there with me, uh, we will continue through this wonderful gospel. Uh, Today, we are going to look at the topic of judging, if you can believe that. Um, When was the last time you heard a Baptist minister preach on judging, the proper form of judging? Silence in the house. Okay, so so never. So congratulations today, you're going to get that, amen? All right, so wonderful. Let me give you some some build-up to it, just a quick, brief, short review Before we jump off into the text today, we will be in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42, I believe that's correct. 37 through 42, yes, that is correct, okay? So, we are are still in the Gospel of Luke, in the Sermon on the Plain, okay? So, if you've been out for a while, this is your first day back, welcome back, first of all. God bless you for being here. And we'll try to give you just a little, little, um, little review of where we are in the Bible so you can catch up, kind of know where we are. Christ has just taught the blesseds and the woes when he came down off the mountain shows his disciples. He has taught his disciples and the apostles one of the most difficult things they will do. And one of the most difficult things that we will do is to love those that mean to do us harm. Right? Amen? And not only love them, but Jesus goes further than that. We are to serve them and do good to them. Jesus teaches this uh, in the backdrop of of an eschatology, I can't even say it this morning, can you believe that? Eschatological tension, meaning that as he teaches these very difficult truths to stomach in the here and now, he is pointing to a future time of judgment. And he says, because this future time of judgment is coming and everything will be set right, that is, that is why we can do this today. These, we, can, we can accept these hard truths and do these today. We have read the Thessalonian passage numerous times of the coming judgment when the angels come in fire and those that have not believed the gospel are consigned to hell for all eternity. And as we look at this and as we hear Jesus preaching, this, this reality of the coming judgment and the difficulty of what he is preaching us in these deep, deep truths of loving our enemies and pray for those that persecute us, we, we do this because we, we believe that there is this judgment that is coming, and so we can allow this radical shift in our thinking, because we're really not raised that way, are we? Are we raised to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us? If we're not in the church, we're certainly not raised that way. We're raised to, to hate our enemies and to try to destroy our enemies, But Jesus gives us a radical shift in our thinking, and Christians, we must have a radical shift in our thinking. We do not want to be like those in the world, because then what difference does the church make? Amen? Amen. So we just read the passage, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? 
For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So we see this worldview reversal in a loving response to an enemy's hatred. We see a worldview reversal in non-retaliation for personal assault and theft. And then we see these, these questions that he asks and he follows up with. And he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So Christ goes one step further and he talks about sacrificial love and sacrificial service and sacrificial giving not requiring reciprocation because even the world does that. So as Christians, we should sacrificially love and not require or anticipate love in return or be bitter when it doesn't happen. As Christians, we should provide sacrificial service and not expect sacrificial service in return. Let not that be the motivation of our love and our service is the fact that we believe we're going to get it returned to us. Giving, sacrificial giving doesn't require reciprocation. There should be no strings attached when we give to people. And then finally, the the verse that catapults us into today's even more difficult message, arguably, than loving your enemies, is this verse in verse 36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. As you read the text and the flow of verses 37 through 42, it seems as though Jesus moves from this idea of mercy and love and to be merciful as the Father is, and then he goes into this idea of hypocrisy, judgmental hypocrisy. Because you cannot be merciful and be a hypocrite in judging. Amen? Amen. Christian disciples must watch for and resist Hypocrisy. Beginning in verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Verse 41, why do you look at the speck, and this is the one that you'll be familiar with for sure, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the what in your own? The plank or the log. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck 
from your brother's eye. I would say that the last verse is the verse that you use to interpret all those that come before it. Much like the blesses and the woes, the false teacher and the true prophets of old, and then you interpret backwards. I believe that is what is, it, that is, what is intended here in this passage. First, let's talk about the word judge, krino in the Greek, means to form a critical opinion of something, either positive or negative, by examination or scrutiny. To evaluate, to pass judgment on, to judge as guilty and liable for punishment. Now, when, when you study words, sometimes it is very wise for you to go back about a hundred years, amen? And study what the word meant a hundred years ago and then compare it to what we think it means today. Well, I did that because this word is so hot, amen? Judgment is a hot word. Well, in 1824, the old dictionary, and by the way, this was on our shelf in our house, just pulled it off the shelf. It was barely held together, a very old, old dictionary. It says this, that judgment is the faculty of the mind which enables a man to ascertain the truth by comparing facts and ideas. How does that sound? I love that. Now, Google... Webster, online dictionary, says this. 2021, an opinion or decision that is based on careful thought. The word truth, nowhere mentioned. The word facts, nowhere mentioned. Very interesting. 1824 compared to 2021. Quite different. Can you amen that? Amen. So let's begin. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I don't know when the phrase became so popular in our culture, but I distinctively distinctively remember It happened in my lifetime. I want to say right around the time I got saved and and began to attend the church, I think that's when it happened. But And I can't be certain, but I'm fairly sure that the phrase, judge not lest ye be judged, became a popular saying in our culture that would be thrown around, right, in a quipping manner, to try to shut down any and all judgments that are relating to someone's sinful lifestyle. Right? Well, we're not supposed to judge. Even Jesus says it's wrong to judge. We can't judge him or her for what they're doing. I mean, we don't know what is in their heart. Here is that very passage this morning, Sunday, November the 6th, 2021, Parkway Baptist Church with yours truly preaching. So what is the truth about this passage? Are you ready? Are you sure? Okay. Does this passage, now do, hold the amens back, okay? Just, just Listen. Does this passage mean that we are to never make judgments? (laughs) If that's true, if that's what Jesus is teaching, and there are many that believe that is what he is teaching, because I have arguments with them regularly, 
then remember the following. The next time you get sick, perhaps with a horrible illness, do not spend any time on the phone or online researching who the best doctor is for what you have because you're not supposed to. The next time you need major surgery, heart, back, brain, don't concern yourself with the credentials of the doctor or how experienced he or she is or what medical school they went to or anything like that Just take out the yellow pages. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Who knows what those are? Okay, go to Google. Is that better? And just take your finger, close your eyes, and just pick one. Because you're not supposed to what? Yeah. The next time your car needs some work, this is my personal favorite, don't talk to your friends and family and ask them for the name of a dependable mechanic in your area. Just pull into the closest, most convenient shop Toss them your keys. Don't even get an estimate and tell them to call you when it's done. Because you're not supposed to what? Mm -hmm. The next time your son or daughter wants to date someone or get married, don't ask questions. Don't ask to meet the parents. Don't get involved in any way. Don't ask about their values. Don't ask about what they believe because we're not supposed to. Are are y'all getting the picture? Oh, here's a good one. The next time you're in court, be sure to let the judge know that he's not supposed to. (laughs) The next time your child wants to spend time with another child, don't ask questions. Don't ask to meet the other child's parents because we're not supposed to. Here's, you're going to love this one. The next time you need a senior pastor to lead your church, don't ask many hard theological questions. Don't ask for references. Don't burden yourself with listening to sermons or do too much difficult background research because you are not supposed to judge according to Jesus. Is Jesus saying that we are never to judge, question, or condemn? Absolutely, positively not. Stop saying that! Quit saying that. Just quit judging. So we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge. Christian, yes, you are. But you're supposed to judge with sound, merciful judgment. Not harsh, jumping to conclusions, rivalrous, hypocritical judgment, as we see in the scripture done primarily by who? All the time to Jesus. Pharisees. I want, I, want to, I want to stomp this and send this back to hell where it came from today. You understand that? I, I don't know, I, I mean, I don't know when this started or how this started, but I am telling you that Satan has so poisoned our understanding of judgment as Christians that we go around here thinking we can't call out people in their sin lovingly. We're not supposed to examine anybody's life. We're not supposed to examine anybody's theology. We're just supposed to turn on the TV and listen to every word this man or woman says standing in a pulpit that claims to be a prophet of God and not examine anything they say. And it's absolutely insane. The Bible is full of commands and mandates for the people of God to judge what they hear, to judge what they see, and to discern what the truth is. 
But don't judge. Jesus says we're not supposed to judge. That is not what he says. That's not what he's saying. And if that were true, then we would have to ignore or tear out the majority of the New Testament from the apostles and much of Christ's own teachings. In fact, the passage that we use in the church repeatedly to show how the word of God is to be used is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And that verse says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that a servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Work! Listen to those words again. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. The very act of teaching means that you must make what? Judgments. Also about what to teach and about what to not to teach. The very act of rebuking, otherwise known as a stern or harsh confrontation, would only happen if a situation had come to pass where judgment had to be applied to determine the necessity for the rebuke. I don't mean to be on a tear this morning, but I am so Sick and tired of hearing that, especially out of Christians' mouths. I could vomit all over this pulpit this morning. I'm not going to, but I could. I don't know what is wrong with our minds. I mean, it's like we check our brain at the door. That's why so many Christians are misled into false teaching and just gobbledygook. Because we're not supposed to judge. They heard some charismatic teacher 20 years ago, say it, Satan used it, kept it in their brain, and now it's a part of their belief system. (sighs) Correcting obviously implies that someone either believes something wrong or is acting in a way that needs to be made right. That requires judgment. So all of these commands require judgment in some form being applied when comparing right theology to wrong theology or right or wrong application of the theology. Amen. Praise God. So what is Jesus talking about in verse 37? That's the question. Now that I've just got up here and just stomped up down and gone crazy, I'm just trying to get through to you. So what is he talking about? In verse 37, it must be anyone that constantly applies unsound, prideful, harsh, hypocritical judgment. That's who he's talking to. At this time in Luke, the primary leaders in the crowd are the disciples, apostles, and the religious elite, which were the Pharisees and the scribes. Now remember, the Pharisees and the scribes are the leaders. Do not lose sight of this. They are the leaders that supposedly knew the will of God for the people of Israel, but who were at the time of this sermon on the plain were actively plotting the death of their own Messiah. Remember that? They were 
judging and condemning. Jesus had healed a leper. He had healed Simon's mother of a fever. He had expelled demons, provided a miraculous catch of fish for Peter and his family, healed a paralyzed man. He went to Matthew's party and claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath twice. And the Pharisees and the scribes began to plot to have him murdered. Murdered. The Son of God. These experts of the Word of God are going to plot the Son of God that came to save everyone from their sins. They, the religious leaders, hypocrites, fools, darkness, they were judging and condemning based on anger, jealousy, bitterness, and fear. That's the wrong kind of judgment. That's the wrong source for judgment. The source for judgment is always, for the Christian, always what? God's word. God's standard. Always. Not our standard. Not what Shelby thinks. That would be wrong judgment. That would be, it's what God says about what you're dealing with. That's what you use to judge with is God's word. They were not doing that. They were judging and condemning based on anger, jealousy, bitterness, and fear. An easy trap to fall into when one is not in the spirit or seeking to please God. They were not judging according to God's standards because if they had been, they would have clearly seen that Jesus was providing them all the evidence they needed to realize he was the promised one of Israel that would inherit David's throne. Be merciful. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, this illustration just seems out of left field. I don't know if it does to you, it does to me. Uh, A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what's he saying in using that illustration? He's saying don't judge or condemn with the wrong measure. Don't judge hastily, angrily, driven by jealousy and rage. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Be the opposite of judging and condemning. Be forgiving and giving. Treat others how what? You would want to be treated and be treated with good measure, be treated with mercy. Use good judgment on the issues that you're having to adjudicate. As you would want someone to judge you, use that same judgment, use that same measure to judge someone else. He uses an ancient Near East grain market illustration here, which is very interesting, when he says... um, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, poured into your lap. So what this means is a good full container. Get a good full container of grain pouring over the sides is then dumped into your satchel bag. So you come to the threshing floor, you come to the marketplace, and you, you, you ask for this order of grain. And so the merchant takes the, takes the grain and scoops. And then he doesn't just scoop, what does he do? 
He shakes it around and does this to be sure that all of the empty space is filled in that can. And then he might take and even press it down a little bit. And once he does that and he gets it good and tight in there, what does he do one final time? He scoops it through again. And then he hands it to you while it is heaping over the top and dripping over the sides. What Jesus is saying is apply this type of good measure in your judging with one another. Be merciful. Be merciful. Be forgiving and giving in your judgment. Don't be constantly harsh, judging and condemning. Be forgiving and giving, and God will return to you according to the measure you use. He is not saying to ju- not to judge at all. He is saying to do it with a merciful and giving heart. Doesn't that sound good? That's good judgment. That's good judgment. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul says this in Romans 2, he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Again, hypocritical judgment. Do you see that? We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because, here's the word, here's the key, of your hard and impenitent, harshly judging, criticizing heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. We must judge according to God's standards, merciful, with good measure, always seeking the what? Truth. Always seeking the truth. Next couple of verses. 39 and 40. The danger of following a blind or hypocritical teacher, he also told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Now, what's the answer to that question? Right. Will they not both fall into a pit? Of course. The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. I mean, the answer, you just said it, is no, the blind cannot lead the blind successfully. Obviously, in this context, Christ is metaphorically speaking about spiritual blindness, which is actually worse than physical blindness because spiritual blindness will result in being condemned to hell for all eternity So the blind cannot leave the blind. Those that are blind are those that judge wrongly from an unmerciful heart, rivalrous, prideful, condemning. These attitudes cannot lead anyone to where they need to be spiritually. These are the devil's attitude. And when you follow a blind, hypocritical teacher, they both fall into the pit, and the pit is metaphorical for where? Exactly. Do you see that? Here's a great, great, great follow-up text to what I just said. Matthew 23, 13 through 15. I'm gonna jump to 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, that's the Jewish term for convert, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. 
That's what happens when you follow a blind, hypocritical teacher. He leads you, she leads you straight into the pit. Not my words, Christ's. The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. You could interpret this one of two ways. You could say the teacher could be a good one or bad one, sincere or hypocritical. The point is surpassing the teacher is not the aim. The goal is to be as the teacher is. So if you are trained by a teacher with sound theology, you will not be above the teacher, but one day when you are mature and fully trained, you will be as the teacher who trains you. But the same follows for the bad teacher. If you are trained by a blind, hypocritical teacher, when fully mature and trained, you will be what? A blind, hypocritical, mature student of the hypocritical teacher. Got a good cross-reference for that too, Romans 2, 19-24. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness... An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge of truth, and then you who teach others do not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What's the message to us? Jesus, that day on the side of the mountain, beware of the danger of following a hypocritical teacher. (laughs) And when he's preaching, who's he talking to? He ain't talking about himself because he's the true teacher. He's talking about those Pharisees and those scribes that are mingling out there among the crowds trying to pull people away from Jesus. So it's, 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 it's a warning. Finally, verses 41 and 42. Almost done. How's my time? Oh, man, I got to, I got to, man, I'm going to be early. I'm going to have to do something about that. Verse 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Man, that is a great word this morning. Can you amen that? That is a great word from the mouth of our Savior. So the passage we just read from Paul in Romans 2 mirrors what Christ is saying here. You preach against the speck of others who steal, but do you have a plank of theft in your eye? You condemn the speck of adultery in in others, but do you also have the the plank of adultery in your eye? You condemn the speck of adultery of others, but do you have the, the, the plank of that in your eye as well? Do you have that in your eye? You're calling it out in him or her, but do you have it in yours? You're looking way over there and you're seeing a speck in somebody's eye when you've got a log in yours. Hypocrisy hypocrisy now in Mississippi we call this something different in Mississippi we say that's somebody that can dish it out but can't take it that's what we say 
Oh, so-and-so, they good at dishing it out. They can dish it out all day long. They can call out, point at everybody and tell them what they're doing wrong and how they're doing is wrong and what they're doing over here and all that kind of stuff. But when you turn the light and shine it on them, oh boy, they don't do anything wrong. Who, who, who am I to tell him he's wrong? But they can go all day long and say whatever they want. They can go on and on about the shortcomings and failures of others and all someone else is doing wrong and how that person needs to get their act together. But grab the hemostats, turn the surgical lights on, and of course, put on the mask. Of course, put on the mask and get ready to cut into them. Oh, look out. They don't do anything wrong. But they can show you real quick where you are wrong and where everyone else is wrong. Before you go calling out the speck in someone else's eye, get the log out of your own. Get the log out of your own. Then, then and only then, will you be able to have the capacity to judge properly brothers and sisters in Christ and other situations in your life. So to close the message, Christians, brothers and sisters, we must watch for and resist hypocrisy in our lives we must we must when we judge we must use God's standard and apply it where first here here first we must make certain we are not following learning from the heart of a hypocritical teacher that is that is critical they, they, they must be a self-examining, sober, open-to-correction teacher. They must be. So we must make certain that we are not following a hypocritical teacher. We must not be, and finally, we must not be hypocritically blind to our own sin. So, why did that little quip catch on so fast back 25, 30 years ago. Why did you, I mean, am I, am I wrong about that? I mean, do y'all remember that? I mean, it seemed like that took the culture by storm. Judge not, lest you be judged. Judge not, lest you be judged. I mean, it was like anytime you brought up anything that needed to be genuinely thought about, somebody in the group would immediately throw that out and everybody's heads would go down. Oh yeah, that's right. And they would just walk away. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think. Because judging soundly and correctly takes hard work. You ever been involved in something real serious that you couldn't just throw that up there? Oh, judge not, let's be judged. But it was something that you had to dive into and you had to ask questions and you had to dig into it, and you had to go into some uncomfortable conversations with people that maybe you didn't necessarily want to have to talk to and deal with? You ever been there? That's how the Christian needs to be about everything, brothers and sisters. We should be seeking truth in every corner of our lives, no matter how much work it takes but especially in the house of God and among the people of God, that, I mean, we, we should be, people should look at us and say, I'm gonna tell you what, the, those Christians, I mean, they believe what they believe and they are firm on what they believe, but I'm telling you what, they, they, they are sound in their judgment. 
They believe what they say, they practice what they preach, they stand firm on what they believe, and they are sound in their judgment. Not harsh, not mean, not cruel, but just standing firm on what we believe, and here's why. That's where we need to be. Because God says to be merciful. We can't back up on, we can't back off the truth, amen? We can't back off the truth. And we've got to seek truth. And I'm I'm not talking about just scriptural truth. I'm talking about truth in any context. But we cannot be hateful and hypocritical and mean and harsh and rivalrous about it. We can't. There's only one time in scripture, well, two times in scripture, you see Jesus kind of go off the rail. And that was when he threw the money changers out of the temple and when he gave the seven woes to the Pharisees, of which I just cited one in this message. And that whole situation with him, he was trying to shock them to life because his time was running short. He was about to be on the cross and he knew that he had to try hard with those, with those Pharisees to try to turn their hearts and wake them up to see who he truly was. But for us, everyday run-of-the-mill Christians in this life, I think we see scripture very clearly. Truth in love. Truth in love. Final scripture. James chapter two, verses 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us and the forgiveness we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, this has been, if there's something in my heart that I've talked to you about, I mean, an uncountable number of times. It's, it's how we as Christians are so afraid of that word judgment. When your word is, cl- is crystal clear about it. So Lord, I pray today that once we walk out of this place out of this out of this building today that we realize that we are to be merciful in how we make judgments we're not to run away from having to judge we're not to run away from situations that make us uncomfortable we are to approach them with mercy and grace and always using your word as our guide to first examine our own heart and then to apply your word to the situation and the individual. And Father, when we start doing that regularly in all circumstances, the outside world shall see the unity of your church. So Father, I pray today, if there is one here today that does not know you, who is possibly under, under eschatological end times judgment, the real end times judgment of their own sin, that they will hear the gospel, they will know, they will understand who Jesus is and the forgiveness that he brings. And that they will come to repentance and faith of their own sin and receive Jesus Christ as their savior. Be moved from darkness to light and come into the kingdom of your beloved son. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.